Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Reb T. This year we'll be talking topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is Be Our Guest, Host with Zest. The sources are from safaria.com and ish.com, unless noted otherwise. Look out for the points to carry over, the PTCs, the points to carry over to take with you hopefully from the sheer. All Shiurim are on shiurenjoyment.com slash shiurim slash shiurim dash reb dash t. We want to let you know that, God forbid, the Google Meet does not work out. Please feel free to call in. For some reason, the Google Meet is not working so well. Feel free to please call in if you write down the number 712-770-4968. Please type in the password when they ask you for it. 369-753-POUND. The lecture series is on this phone number. So we say to please call the number. Again, the the Google Meet for some reason is not working. The Zoom for some re- is, reason is not working. Please call the phone number on your phone, 712-770-4968 to call in. And they'll ask you for the password. Please type in the password, 369 369- 753 pound again the google meet is not working 712-770-4968 is the phone number 369-753 pound 369-753 pound is the password please call in if the google meet does not work usually we recommend calling on the phone line anyway because the technology has not been so well in general, though, we're talking be our guest host with Zest. We're looking at Safari and H.com. Look out for the points to carry over to take with you, hopefully, from this year. All Shiram are on shiramjoyment.com slash shiurim slash shiurim dash reb dash t. Shout out to Jake W. and Ellie N. The lecture series, the PAL, the audio DT and OT talk show are on different podcast forums. Email, please, rebt at shearenjoyment.com. This year should serve as a chutz for the refuah shalem of anyone sick or needing a Yeshua or a refuah. What is your favorite mitzvah in the Torah? What mitzvah particularly appeals to you and fits with your personality and your life? For me, my favorite mitzvah is that of Hachnasus Orchem, having guests. Ever since I can remember, I loved having people over. Even as a teenager, bringing friends home for Shabbat was always a huge highlight of the week, sometimes having one, two, or even more friends at a time. When I was in yeshiva in Israel, I used to take a friend or two, sometimes more with me to someone's house for Shabbat, whether a family friend or a family we met through the wonderful Anywhere in Israel program that would connect you to a Shabbos experience anywhere you wanted to go. The program explains on their website, AnywhereInIsrael.org. Anywhere in Israel is a free service that expresses the love of Jews to other fellow Jews. Every home that participates in AnywhereInIsrael.com is Shomer Shabbat. Our goal is to bring out the beauty of Jewish life in the land of Israel through the warmth of a Shabbos atmosphere in a wide variety of locations throughout the land of Israel. Basically, you choose a place in Israel. You choose preferences. They'll contact you. Using the automated online system, you could also request to be a host as well. Kind of reminds me, it's similar in idea to the idea of Shabbat.com, which is described as a social media platform and a global movement whose mission is to assist Jewish organizations and individuals worldwide with Shabbat hospitality, matchmaking, and employment opportunities free of charge. I think of the famous Jeff Seidel in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, who would match up people for Shabbat as well as the famous Machases, who have hundreds of people for Shabbat. More on them later, God willing, in a little bit. 
Aish explains, for a complete listing of synagogues and Shabbat hospitality around the world, there's an excellent book called The Jewish Traveler's Resource Guide, compiled by Jeff Seidel's Jewish Student Information Center. You could see it at makshivim.org, M-A-K-S-H-I-V-I-M.org. In college and graduate school, I still would love to have people over for Shabbat, for Shabbos, but would involve myself in Shabbaton, Sriachan, arranging different elements, being involved in many different aspects to ensure the members and advisors would have a great Shabbos experience. I was also involved with Hask and even NCSY in a time or two, ensuring members that I was responsible for that they would have a good time as the guest or participant. Once we were married, my wife and I were able to start having people for meals as well as sleep over family or friends in our apartment in Brooklyn and later on in our house in Long Island, especially in the past few years up until Corona. But as will be repeated and related later, again, there can never be enough hachnas There's always more that can be done. There's no set amount or sheer. The actual Gemara tells us that a little later on. We should have famous and not famous guests, guests of all types and calibers. We should be ready at a moment's notice for guests and make sure to have designated areas for them. For example, in our house, we have two beds in the attic, plus two movable cots, as well as a sofa bed and a couch slash couch in the basement. But doesn't mean only literally in your house. Especially during Corona times, how can we go about this mitzvah? I believe there are creative ways to go about it. If you have a front yard or a backyard, a front deck or a back deck, especially in the nice weather of spring into summer, it's easy to have people in a distant, safe, and healthy manner. You could also bring food to people, cook food for people, which we do all the time. We try to do it really as often as possible because every time we do the mitzvah, it's more ingrained into our personality and it helps people and it's wonderful to help people. You could send food to people, which we do a lot of times if I run out of time or forget the ingredients to cook for people. I'll send from the pizza store, from the meat store, or the sushi store, or the Chinese store, whatever. Or you could send gifts to people or you could send clothing or the like for others. It has been said that giving other people rides also counts, especially in non-Kroman times or done in a safe manner. Achnas means welcoming guests in whatever manner or way possible. The Eish Rabbi describes on Eish.com that Achnas Orcham, welcoming guests, is one of the key ways of emulating God and describing the mitzvah to walk in God's ways. The Talmud says, just as he is merciful, so should you be merciful. Just as he is kind, so should you be kind. One example of God's kindness includes feeding the hungry, as God did by providing the man to the Jews wandering in the desert in Shemot, where it's relegated and explained in Shemot. Avram emulated God by performing endless acts of, kes- of chesed, of kindness. In the Sefer Barashas, we find God talking to Avram. We're going to talk about this later, see the source in person later also. When Avram sees three strangers approaching from afar, he suddenly jumps up to offer them food and drink. Avram treats the guests royally and serves the finest foods and involves his whole family in the mitzvah. On what basis did Avram prioritize the helping of strangers over talking with God? Seems a little rude, no? On some level, you would think. The answer is that even greater than talking to God is to be like God. God is a giver. We are created in the image of God. Thus, giving is our greatest form of spiritual expression. Avraham achieved great spiritual levels because he emulated God by welcoming guests into his home. Achnasas Orchim 
was one of the mitzvahs described in the Talmud and Shabbat. We're going to see the source in person, God willing, for which we receive rewards both in this world and in the world to come. And on Aish, it also points out from Rabbi Goldstein, Chief Rabbi Goldstein from South Africa of the Shabbat Project fame, a wonderful, wonderful initiative where usually around Parshas Noach, they try to get everyone in the world to keep Shabbat. And they have different programs and projects and different activities and wonderful things. They have a chalabik usually leading up to it. Wonderful, wonderful things. And he himself explains on Aish, this guy who founded the project, the Shabbos Project. The Torah sets the scene. Avram at the ripe age of 99, 99 is recovering from his recent prismila, his circumcision. He's in extraordinary pain. And it's the third day, which they say is the most seerfully, most excruciatingly painful day. It's a seriously hot day in the desert, yet here he is sitting at the opening of his test, of his tent, waiting restlessly for guests. The Chacham and the sages teach that Avram's tent was always open on all four sides so that anyone needing rest and comfort and shelter could enter. In fact, the Medrash says on that day, God specifically ensured it was an intensely hot day to prevent people from venturing out, so Avram would be spared the trouble of looking after them. Yet despite the heat, despite the lingering pain of his bris milam, despite his old age, Avram remained undeterred. As the day wore on, Avram became increasingly distressed at having no opportunity to do kindness. God relented and sent him three angels dressed as men, masquerading as weary travelers, whom with the help of his wife he proceeded to lavish with choice delicacies and painstaking care and attention. But the one detail that is very striking is that the Parsha begins with the Shechina, Hashem's presence appearing to Avram and being with him while he recovers from the bris. When the travelers appear on the scene, Avram says, My master... The, the word which could be either Masters or Hashem himself. If I find favor in your eyes, please do not move on from your servant. Do not move from me. The most obvious reading is that he's addressing the travelers, but according to one extraordinary explanation in Rashi, these words were actually addressed to Hashem himself. In effect, Avram was asking God to hold on a second, let me take care of these guests. While he attended to the needs of the travelers, based on this... The sages of the Talmud in Shabbat, where we're going to look at in person, they make a radical statement. Greater is hachnasas orchem, welcoming guests, than receiving the divine presence. Greater is hachnasas orchem than receiving the divine presence. Fascinating. So even though the Shekhinah came to be with Avram in the wake of his bris meal, Avram knew he would in fact have a more meaningful interaction with God through engaging with the Tselem Elohim, the divine image in another human being. Rabbi Geffen points out on H.com, the men of Ammon and Moab displayed a great failing in the character. Why are they not supposed to marry into the congregation of the B'nai Israel? Why? Because they have a great failing in the character trait of kindness when they refuse to give the Jewish people bread and water. This is one of the reasons they can never marry into the Jewish people. The Melitz Yosher notes that their failure to be gracious hosts is all the more difficult to understand when we bear in mind that their patriarch was Lot. Lot, Avram's nephew, excelled in Hachnas Azorachim. Where do you think he learned that from? Obviously from Avram himself, to the extent that he risked his life to look after the angels who came to Sodom. In light of this, how can it be that a few generations later the trait is gone? And the descendants displayed such indifference, not even helping the Jews who just need a little water, a little bread, let us go on your path, we'll pay for our stuff. And they said no. So he answers that if a person performs kindness because of an internal recognition of its importance, a genuine desire to help others, 
then it will become ingrained in his descendants for many generations. However, if the kindness comes from habit, then it will not be internalized by future generations. So it has to be ingrained. It can't just be habitual. It has to be literally ingrained into ourselves. So Lot did excel in kindness. However, this was only because he was brought up in the home of the paragon of kindness, Avram, who happens to be one of my favorite, if not my favorite character in all of Tanakh, especially Sefer Bereshis. He did not attain an internal recognition of the importance of kindness. It was merely a course of habit for him, merely habit. Consequently, actions such as those of Lot that are not internalized into a person's soul do not last. So we should make sure that our ability to do Achnasas Orchem is literally ingrained into our personality, embedded into our DNA, second nature to us. It should be a source of good habit, routine, and structure, but it should literally be embedded into our very essence and our very being. It brings to mind to the, to the idea to me of the wonderful legendary hospitality of the Machlases in Israel, as explained by H.com, by the author Sarah Yocheved Riegler. One Shabbat, a young American student from the Hebrew University, Hebrew U, was among the hundred guests who crowded into the modest Jerusalem apartment of Rabbi Mordechai and Henny Machlis. The student wearing a nose ring and an eyebrow ring was determined to undermine every word of Torah that Rabbi Machlis tried to share with his guests. Every time Rabbi Machlis spoke, the student would yell out, that's stupid, or that's archaic, or he would laugh out loud. <laughs> the seemingly infinite patience of Rabbi Machlis almost gave out. He sat down and said to his wife, that's it. He's just too disruptive. Rebbitz and Henny encouraged her husband, ignore what he says. Don't speak to him. Speak to his neshama. Speak to his soul. Mordechai somehow continued. At the end of the meal, the obnoxious student left. As he walked out the door, seven-year-old Moshe, one of the Machlis' 13 children, asked him, why do you have that dumb thing in your nose? The student retorted, why do you have that dumb thing on your head? Moshe answered without batting an eyelash, because I always have to know that there's something above me, something higher than me, a seven-year-old saying this, something better than me. Now, why do you have that dumb thing in your nose? The student returned to his dorm room and wrote in his diary, just imagine, that little kid knows why he's wearing a kippah, but I have no idea why I'm wearing a nose ring. Three days later, he returned to the Machas' apartment and announced, I want to learn more about what it means to be a Jew. I want to learn how to put on tefillin. For more than two decades, Rabbi Mordechai and Heni Machlis opened their home to an amazing assortment of Shabbos guests. Every week, 60 to 100 guests showed up for Friday night dinner and an equal number, if not more, for Shabbos lunch. Who came? Travelers, yeshiva students, university students, the homeless, the mentally ill, Hadassah ladies, tourists, lost souls, UJA mission visitors, new immigrants, drunkards, widows, orphans, Sarel volunteers for Israel, birth bar participants, and truth seekers, and so many more. Most of the guests were from English-speaking countries, but they also hosted people from every continent, from countries as far away as Japan, China, and the Philippines. Some people came hungry for food, the ample helpings of home-cooked gefilte fish, chicken soup, chicken with barbecue sauce, at least three kinds of kugel, an array of salads, vegetarian alternatives, and four kinds of cake. Of course, destitute souls could pick up food at a public soup kitchen, but what is Shabbos? 
without Shabbos songs? What is Shabbos without words of Torah? What is Shabbos without a home-cooked meal, which Rabbi Machlis and his family provided as profusely as his wife's cooking? Some people came hungry for love and warmth. Two orphaned young women in their early 20s had an apartment and good jobs, but on Shabbat, they missed the family atmosphere they once knew. A refined 67-year-old widow ate alone every Shabbos for five years after her husband passed. Her independent persona dissuaded her friends from inviting her. Those three then enjoyed the palpable warmth of the machlis table. Some people came for the spiritual inspiration and unconditional acceptance that Rabbi Machlis radiated. Religious and secular guests sat side by side, most wearing kippot, some opting not to. Most people said the appropriate blessings, often for the first time, some opted not to. Everyone was encouraged to say a few words of introduction or wisdom or personal reflection. Everyone was lovingly received. A smattering of Gentiles curious to experience a Jewish Shabbos managed to find their way to the Machlis house on Shabbos. One time, a group of ten Mormons came for Shabbat. When it was their turn to speak, each one rose and politely thanked the Machlises for their hospitality. When the last Mormon, a young woman, rose to speak, she burst into tears. She finally managed to compose herself and declared, I'm Jewish. Both my parents are Jewish. This is the first time, the first time, I'm in a real Jewish home. I had no idea how beautiful Judaism is. Another time, an American man in his early 20s partook of all the Shabbat meals at the Machlis home. At the end of Shabbat, he approached Rabbi Machlis and admitted that he was confused. Although his mother was born Jewish, she had raised him completely secular. In fact, he had become a born-again Christian and had come to Israel with an evangelical group in order to missionize the Jews. But what he had seen over Shabbat revealed that, contrary to what he had thought, Judaism was a vibrant, profound religion full of love, and full of compassion. The Machlis' hospitality was not reserved for Shabbat. Rare were the days when needy people were not sleeping in the extra beds, or on their two couches, or on the rug in the living room. Every night, one, two, or three men, too drunk or crazy to want to sleep inside the house, slept in the Machlis' van. When Mordechai left for work in the morning, he could tell how many van guests he had by how many pairs of shoes he saw on the front windshield. One time, a drunk Russian immigrant in his early 50s came for Shabbat dinner. When everyone else had left, the Machlis discovered this man asleep on the floor. He woke up, vomited, was invited to sleep on the couch. He stayed for a few months, during which time he gave up alcohol cold turkey. When he started to suffer withdrawal symptoms, Henny, alarmed, called up specialists to make sure it was safe for him. Eventually, they found him a job and an apartment. There are so many, so many tens of hundreds of thousands of stories about them. I also saw a different story about them where there was someone who was slightly mentally um, not all there and he, he very much wanted a special type of pizza, maybe gluten-free, maybe maybe whole wheat, and he couldn't get it, he couldn't get it. He, he literally came to the Machlis' door at like 3 in the morning, pounding on the door until Rebetzin Henny came and painstakingly explained the entire recipe, if not showing him again and again how to do the pizza. That's the type of people these people were. Unfortunately, the Rebetzin passed away a few years ago. Her neshama should have an aliyah. The Rebetzin Hani Machlis passed away on Friday, October 16, 2015. Cheshvan 35776. May her soul be bound with the bounds of life. But their lesson, I'm not sure if the rabbi keeps up the tradition or not. That's always spoken in the past, but it's a wonderful thing that him and his Rebetzin did. And they should be have a zuchus that they have only good things for now on in, in this world and the next world. 
But it's interesting to think how many people were touched by these wonderful, wonderful people. I myself actually experienced the beauty of this household when my brother and his wife visited me when I was studying in Israel many years ago in Yeshiva on one particular Shabbos. We walked from the Kotel to his house along with many, many guests. We piled into this small, modest apartment. You can imagine how is it possible that they fit these hundred people. Let's say they had a regular you know, Israeli apartment, maybe three, four bedrooms, in, in the heart of Jerusalem, so it couldn't have been that big. Thinking back, they must have got rid of all the furniture, put it in different rooms for Shabbat, and they probably took it out the rest of the week, literally putting as many chairs and tables as possible to literally fit as many hosts, as many guests as possible. We were literally elbow to elbow with the guests next to us, very cramped in, we couldn't move. At the time, I didn't like it or appreciate it, but now, many years later, I think back now to how wonderful it was how beautiful it was for them to try to fit as many people, as many guests as possible into their modest home, their modest apartment. You know, a lot of times in Israeli apartment, Israeli house, they don't have a separate living room and a separate dining room like we have in America. Even in small houses, we a lot of houses have a living room, a dining room, and a kitchen. But in Israel, a lot of times it's the combo living dining room. So that one room, they literally fit as many people as possible. They must have had over 100 guests with us. Water was passed to wash with. Food was passed out. You literally could not move the whole meal until the end when everybody shuffled out. We ate physically, but we also ate spiritually. I myself will never forget that meal and its effect, Blinender. We don't have to be the machlises. We don't have to be the level of the machlises. But why can't we be inspired? Why can't we be touched by what beautiful stuff they did for years upon years upon years and try on our own little level to see what we can do in a safe way, in a healthy way, in a wonderful way, non-corona times, but even now in a safe way outside distance, how could we help? What could we do for guests, for people every single week? H points out a beautiful story from Rhonda Robinson from September 2017 when there was a huge, huge storm, a huge hurricane, Hurricane Irma. Atlanta synagogues all over town welcomed more than a thousand Jews who fled Florida ahead of Hurricane Irma back in 2017, which was one of the strongest storms ever recorded in the Atlantic Ocean. People crowded in, everyone from pregnant young women to old men in wheelchairs. Word quickly sped that one of the women gave birth to a baby boy after arriving in Atlanta. They reflected the many faces of Jews from all backgrounds. From girls in blue jeans to guys in black hats, every single type of person. Many invoked one word throughout that wonderful Shabbos of Hurricane Irma. Unity. Family hosts and guests became friends and played Jewish geography, discovering amazing coincidences of connection. For instance, the son of an Atlanta host had been roommates with the son-in-law of her Florida guest. What are the chances? Community members not only provided shelter from the storm but also fed guests thousands of meals from bagels to baked ziti to chicken to chillin'. It feels like family, declared one of the participants, Alana Parsons, from North Miami Beach at a Kums. It's a Saturday evening gathered with lively music and dancing at the Youngers of Taco Hills. She, her husband, son, mother, and niece drove 650 miles to Atlanta to escape the hurricane. We're overwhelmed by the kindness, friendliness, and compassion of the Atlanta Jewish community. They go the extra mile, putting welcome signs all over the shoals and in the yards. Her husband, Rabbi Avi Parsons, added, Everyone's opened their doors and made you feel like you're doing them a favor to be able to provide hospitality. That's how we should feel, that we're being given a favor to be able to give to others. What a wonderful way of thinking about it. 
Indeed, Rabbi Elan Feldman and Dov Voxbrunner of Congregation Beth Jacob noted in the Shul Bulletin, to the Atlanta host community, we have been presented with an opportunity to unleash the latent giving and compassionate nature that exists in every Jewish heart. We know that if roles were reversed, our guests would gladly be our hosts. Halavai, that should be for everyone all over the world. We're immensely inspired by the outpouring of love and creativity in such a short span of time, by the accomplishments that came from amazing teamwork. In addition, we thankfully acknowledge our partnership with Young Israel and others throughout the community, without which it wouldn't have been possible. Jordy Wittenberg, one of the Congregation Beth Jacob Youngers of Taco Hill's team of 14 Command Central volunteers who arranged housing and feeding logistics in a mere two days, 48 hours, credited the Orthodox Union for providing money to sponsor meals. This would not have happened as smoothly if they didn't have their financial and emotional support. What a beautiful story of how much people can help for others, how much a community can do for others, especially in crisis, especially in difficulty, especially in crazy circumstances. We have the ability in our hearts, but we have to tap into this for others on a constant basis. Whatever the circumstances around us, whatever safe and effective way that may be, even in the waves of the coronavirus, we can still have others outside, distance and mask. We can still drop off food for others or send food, gifts, toys, or clothing to others. We can still give and have guests and help guests and others in different ways in creative ways. I myself try to cook for people all the time. Me and my wife, we try to do it as much as possible, whether lahavdil for someone who gave birth or lahavdil lahavdil lolein if someone lost someone. If we can't cook for some reason, we'll try to send food. We try to send gifts or whatnot to people. Sometimes whatever we could do to help, whatever we can do to be involved is something we should all try to do. It doesn't literally mean having people in your house sleeping and eating, especially during crazy times like we're in now, but there are definitely ways to do it. Listen to this amazing tale from nishmas.org, N-I-S-H-M-A-S.org, nishmas.org. On the sanctity of Shabbos, the beautiful sounds of laughter, talking, walking, praying, and singing can be heard all over the world, and especially all over Israel. What ruins this is the sounds of motors running from buses, cars, and motorcycles. Different neighborhoods, especially in Jerusalem, want to preserve the sanctity and the peacefulness of the beautiful and holy Shabbos. This is what happened one time when the residents of Mesha Arm wanted to preserve the peacefulness of Shabbos. The residents in Meisharm had the idea to try to attempt to close Meisharm Street to traffic on Shabbos. There were trash bins set up across the street to try to keep out automobiles and the like from the community. There was a committee formed to oppose the closure of the street, called by a name which declared their opposition to quote-unquote religious coercion. They saw it as coercive against the secular that the residents wanted to close the street, which runs through their completely orthodox neighborhood. This committee against religious coercion, quote-unquote, used to bust ruffians into Jerusalem from Kibbutzim and other places to attack and beat up the residents. I should never know from such things. There was one man who was one of these ruffians, one of those ruffians who went up to Jerusalem to try to force the residents through physical means in order to make them open the street in their neighborhood to traffic. One Shabbos, he was in Jerusalem with his own automobile and decided to show those residents a thing or two. He drove his car down Meisharm Street, quote-unquote, like a Roman charioteer, as he described it, with pedestrians scattering in panic. 
expectant woman sprinting from the street, woman with baby carriages bouncing across the uneven pavement, all to show them that they can't impose their quote-unquote Shabbos on him. One man, a local teacher, had the presence of mind to memorize the number of his license plate and look him up the next day at the Motor Vehicle Licensing Bureau. Then he found the driver's telephone number. What did he do? He called the driver up and invited him home for Shabbos, explaining that he wanted, explaining to him that he wanted him to see what Shabbos is and quote unquote why it means so much to us. The driver declined, explaining that he would not want to spend the whole of Shabbos. The teacher said, "I am inviting you to be my guest, not my prisoner. You are free to leave whenever you want." Just do me the courtesy of parking your car outside the neighborhood. He could find no honorable way of refusing a challenge so reasonably presented, so he went Shabbos evening for Kiddush and the meal. They talked somewhat, and he left. When he left, his host invited him to return another Shabbos, and to reinforce the invitation, he called him during the week. Eventually, he came again for Shabbos, and again, and again. Over the next year or so, he became first an occasional Shabbos guest, then a frequent Shabbos guest, and finally a regular Shabbos guest. Over a period of two to three year, years, he became a Choser B'Tshuva, he became a Baal Tshuva, newly religious. A motorcade of secular Jews driving, driving down Bar at Boulevard on Shabbos is an opportunity to talk to them. They're in your neighborhood on Shabbos, invite them for Kiddush. They have never seen you in a positive, sympathetic way before. Great good can come of it. Maybe that's one of the ways to solve all the differences we see in our life. Maybe that's one of the ways to deal with how we can help people throughout the world. We need more of peacefulness. We need more of a peaceful solution in general. This was a tremendous way to be Mekadashim Shemaim and to make someone be Chazer B'Tshuva. He didn't yell at him. He didn't fight him. He didn't throw stuff back at him. He said, you know what? I'm just going to show him Shabbos. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to invite him for Shabbos. The ruffian became someone who was rushing to learn. If we could all figure out how to get rid of all the fights, all the arguments, all the disagreements, if we could get rid of the Lashon Har, the Motzish Shemar, the Rechilas, to have Ahavat Chinam instead of Sinat Chinam, to have Lashon Tov instead of Lashon Har, that could be a way to bring the base of Migdash speedily in our days. If we didn't rebuild the base of Migdash in our generation, the Gemara teaches it's as if it was destroyed again and again. If, if, if Lashon Haram, Sinat Chinam, was the reason it was destroyed, that means it's the reason that it wasn't rebuilt. So the way to fix that, in my humble opinion, along with many sages, I believe, have said this before me, is to do Lashon Tov. Is to have Chinam. What better way to try to get people to see the beauty, the beauty of Judaism, to get people to come together than through the beauty of Shabbat, the beauty of Torah, the way to win people over is not by fighting, is not by yelling. The way to calm down anger, the way to calm down strife is to talk calmly, is to have a beautiful experience. They say if someone's really mad at you, there's nothing more unnerving to them, more unsettling to them, more calming to them with you responding in a calm way. We've talked about this a different time also, about anger and whatnot. So if someone's really mad, 
maybe because they never got to experience religion and they're really furious at religion, it's not going to help to yell at them. It's not going to help to talk down on them. It's not going to help to give them to chacha. What will help is to just be there for them, just talk to them, show them a beautiful Shabbos table. Show them what's beautiful about Judaism, how we can still be cool and hip. We can still read novels Jewish. We can still listen to music, awesome music Jewish. We can still watch TV and movies, whatnot, on whatever level, whatever you watch, in a good Jewish way, where you watch good, clean stuff, or you're involved in good things. Show them we're still with it. Show them we're still cool. We could still be involved in different ways. The best way is like the teacher did in this story, bringing him for Shabbos in a beautiful, wonderful way. Now listen to this great story from Chabad.org with author Bluma Weinberg, translated and adapted from Sipurit Sadikim 257. The Baal Shem Tov, who was a fascinating character in and of himself, and Rabbi Kalimer is a direct descendant of Baal Shem Tov, his neshama should have an aliyah, the rabbi of our community. So the Baal Shem Tov once gathered a select group of his students and announced, come, I will show you someone who sincerely, wholeheartedly welcomes guests into his home. The Baal Shem Tov asked for his horse and wagon to be prepared for a trip. In these trips, there's, in these stories, there's always a wagon, always a horse. We're talking not current 21st century. So they're always hitching up the horse and the wagon. They're going on a trip. The wheels of the wagon flew through fields and forests and mountains and valleys. By late afternoon, the Baal Shem Tov and his students arrived at a village. The wagon came to a halt in front of an inn. A Jewish man came running out of the inn to greet them. He called out, Hooray! There are guests! Precious Jewish guests! That's how we should all feel, by the way, in general. There are guests! Precious Jewish guests! The innkeeper went over to the travelers and invited them into his home. Come, dear rabbis, come into my home. You can rest up and eat something. You will refresh yourselves and at the same time bring life to me. You will refresh me. It's not every day I'm so fortunate to do the mitzvah of Orchem. That's a key line for us to remember for ourselves. It's not every day that I am so fortunate to do the mitzvah of Orchem. It's not every day that I have the privilege to cook for someone. It's not every day it's the privilege I have, I have the ability to send food for someone. It's not every day that I have the privilege to give someone a gift. That's a way to look at things, in my humble opinion. It's not every day I am fortunate to do a mitzvah in general, but this mitzvah for sure, of Achnasas Orchem, welcoming guests. The Baal Shem Tov responded, Perhaps it would be better we continue on our way to the nearby city. There we will have a mikvah, and there we will be able to pray with the congregation and hear the Torah reading. Oh, but I have a mikvah. I have a Torah scroll right here. Together with all of you, we will also have a minyam, a quorum of ten. The innkeeper said, entreating them to remain. He added that if they would like to pray in the city on Shabbat, they could walk there because it was within the permissible area, the 2,000 amos, the tachum, the boundary, that one is allowed to walk on Shabbat. In the end, the Baal Shem Tov agreed to the request of the innkeeper. The travelers became his guests. While the innkeeper lived modestly, he offered his guests his best rooms, did everything he could to make their stay comfortable. After they had prayed, he invited them to a table set with delicious food. He himself stood by to serve them. Another thing, don't hire waiters or whatnot if someone's coming to your your backyard or whatnot and it's a family, serve them yourself. On Shabbat morning, they all walked to the nearby city to pray. After Shabbat, the innkeeper prepared a lavish Malava Malka feast, meal after the conclusion of Shabbat, and even invited many more guests from the area. He radiated joy as he greeted his guests. He radiated joy 
as he greeted his guests and bustled around making sure everyone was cared for. The Balshamtov and the students spent a few more days with the villager who took care of all their needs personally, personally, and did everything in his power to make sure they felt at home. Before leaving, the Balshamtov asked their host if he had any special requests. My only request is that you pray for me that I merit life in the world to come, he responded. The thing you ask for is dependent on you, the Baal Shem Tov responded, but if you want me to bless you, you must come to me in Mezebuch. And by the way, I can give you some sound advice. Since in our country there's a shortage of wine, when you come, it will be worthwhile to bring with you a hundred barrels of wine of the best kind, so that you can earn a nice profit. Time passed and the students all but forgot about the whole episode. One day the Baal Shem Tov said to his students, Today a group of four people came to our town. Please go and tell them that I'm inviting them to my Shabbos meal. The students were very surprised to hear this. The local custom was that poor people and passing guests would come to the town had all their needs met by the local committee in charge of accommodating wayfarers who arranged meals and sleeping accommodations, like a, a chassid committee, basically. A chassid committee, if you will. Now, the Baal Shem Tov was inviting this group to his house this time. When the poor folk were seated around the table, the Baal Shem Tov turned to one of them and invited him to come sit next to him. Do you recognize me? The Baal Shem Tov asked him. Yes, the poor man answered. I had the merit to host the Rebbe and his students in my inn. The students sitting around the table perked their ears. Tell us what happened to you since then, the Baal Shem Tov continued. The villager told the following tale. When the Rebbe told me to come to him to Mezhebuch and bring a hundred barrels of the best wine, I firmly believed in the words of the Rebbe and set out to do this. I wanted to make sure to do this. I wanted to get what the Rebbe said. I sold everything I possessed and I bought a hundred barrels of wine. Then I sat on on my way. Toward evening, as we passed through a forest, a big storm broke out and torrents of rain fell. The path was totally sodden with water and the wagons were unable to move forward. I got off the wagon and leaving the merchandise with the wagon drivers, I started searching for a house or inn in which to spend the night. Eventually, I noticed a small light far ahead in the darkness. I went toward the light. Soon I reached a house in the forest. An old Jewish man with a flowing beard greeted me at the door. I kind of feel like on some level, by the way, this was Eliyahu Anavi. You know, he always comes up in all these stories, a fascinating character, one of my favorite characters also in Tanakh. And we know that he had a regal appearance, a long flowing white beard. He looked very regal. But anyway, it was some old Jewish man with a flowing beard at the door. He invited me in. The house was warm and well lit, and the old man treated me kindly until I warmed up. In the morning, after I said the morning prayers, I parted from the regal old man, regal old man, and went back to where I'd left my wagons. However, there was no trace of them. It was as if they had vanished into thin air. At first, I was very upset and depressed. However, then I began to think that I don't have any reason to be upset. This line is key and crucial for life in general. God gave and God took. May the name of God be blessed. The man thought to himself, God gave and God took. May the name of God be blessed. Lahavdo, lahavdo. We should never know such things. Lo'aleinu. But if someone ever loses someone, this is a very famous line. Hashem natan. Hashem lakach. Yehishem Hashem mevarach. But in general in life, this is how I think about money in general. Also, lahavdo. Money comes and goes. But whatever Hashem gives you, memories, happiness, taking care of your wife and kids, that's what really is important. Lahavdo comes from the line, Hashem natan Hashem lakach. Yehi Shem Hashem Mevarach. Hashem gives, Hashem takes. Hashem's name should be blessed. It's all up to Hashem. So he thought about this, this, this innkeeper when he lost his barrels of wine. And he said, surely it is all for the good. 
I, just, I decided. I began to walk and then came upon a group of poor people traveling this way. I traveled with them until I came to Mezhevich. The poor man finished his story, all eyes now focused on the Baal Shem Tov. Do you regret that you asked me to be blessed with life in the world to come? Perhaps you would prefer to get all your lost wealth back, the Baal Shem Tov asked the innkeeper. God forbid, the man replied without hesitating. Is the Rebbe suggesting that I give up my share in the world to come in exchange for a hundred barrels of wine? Absolutely not, Rebbe. I am prepared to remain a poor person all my life, traveling from place to place if only I can merit life in the world to come. Indeed, that is what I wanted to hear from you, the Baal Shem Tov said. A Jew needs to be ready to give up everything for faith in God. You accomplish this, and therefore you will merit life in the world to come. A smile of pure happiness then spread across the poor man's face. The Baal Shem Tov continued, You're thinking that now you'll have to wander with your friends for a long time. Well, that is not the case. With the help of Hashem, tomorrow the wagons with the wine that you lost in the forest will arrive here. You will sell them for a nice profit. You will once again be able to do the mitzvah of welcoming guests as before. Sure enough, the very next day the wagons arrived as the Baal Shem Tov had said. The villager became wealthy and continued to host guests in a generous fashion. Fascinating story. Unbelievable. We can, we can on our own level, be like the innkeeper. Use your house. Use your backyard, your front yard. Use your resources, use your time, use your money to give and do for others. But before we explain how to do so with some sources, let's see some fascinating tips on hosting from H.com with the author Amuna Braverman. Very key tips to keep in mind always. Number one, serve your guests cheerfully. While in general we don't want to wait until we're in the mood to do a mitzvah, a frowning and ungracious host seems to defeat the purpose, certainly puts a damper on the guest's experience. Guests feel awful and imposing where they should feel welcome and no trouble. Certainly guests must make some allowance for busy hosts, distracted hosts, overwhelmed hosts, hosts with teenagers, which is a special category of its own, but hosts must go out of their way to make the guests feel, well, at home. This can, however, be taken way too far. Guests do not want to be so at home that they're privy to internal squabbles and domestic disputes. Just as family struggles should not be played out in front of children, the guests shouldn't be subject to this discomfort either. You may think this goes without saying, but experience as a guest, myself included, suggests otherwise. Number two, tip number two for the host. The Torah admonishes against contradicting or correcting a guest unnecessarily. Although a host may be able to prove he or she is right on a particular topic, there is a price to pay. Guests are made to feel extremely uncomfortable and unlikely to accept the next invitations. This is an important rule in marriage as well. Being right is not as important as being happy. Being right may be a very lonely position. Host tip number three. While guests should feel grateful for the effort of their hosts, as hosts we should not emphasize how much trouble we went to, not just as hosts, as parents, as kids, as family, as friends, we should not emphasize how much trouble we went to. If a host makes it obvious, then it's going to feel very uncomfortable, um, very uncomfortable for the guests. I know how you like Hearts of Palm, so I went to five stores to find it. I stayed up all night baking your favorite cake. Neither children nor guests 
nor family, nor friends respond well to this guilt trip. Nobody responds well to passive aggressiveness. Nobody responds well to guilt tripping. Don't do it. Don't do it. Neither children nor guests respond well to this guilt trip. And the comments suggest that the hospitality or the favor or the whatever is meant to satisfy some needs of the host rather than those of the guests. This is a good rule for life as well, avoiding the passive aggressive, avoiding the kind of guilt trip at all costs in all areas. If you made that extra effort, keep it to yourself. Speaking of it diminishes everyone's experience. Host tip number four. Don't push your guests to eat. While this is a particular challenge for Jewish mothers and fathers, all hosts need to be vigilant. A hostess who takes pleasure in her cooking wants to share that pleasure with her guest, to put it in the nicest terms, and may be hurt when they don't like or even try it. I'm very guilty of this many times in the past. I'm like, why did nobody eat my scalloped potatoes? Why did nobody try my butternut squash kugel? That tastes good, man. I worked really hard on it. Why didn't they eat it? This is yet another opportunity to remember that it's about the guest's needs, not yours. This can be recommended as well as a useful mantra for life. Maybe they have an allergy that you don't know about. Maybe they have a rigid diet that you don't know about or shouldn't know about. Or maybe they just have a strong dislike. Not only do we not want our guests to take ill from our cooking, but we don't want to sabotage their dieting efforts either. Although you notice exactly who eats what, who leaves what behind on their plates, and who has seconds, try to keep smiling. A wonderful, helpful hint, by the way, from this wonderful list of ideas from Amuna Braverman is this. It, is, it has been found that the need to really feed guests can be satisfied by having over who? Single guys of almost any age. Although college works best, I can personally attest to this. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I had single guys. They literally de- devoured and demolished everything. Another time we had girls over, like nothing was touched. But when the guys came, everything was devoured. So really, you want to feel like you have guests that really eat everything. And of course, it could be done in a safe way, a wonderful way, even outdoors, now that the weather is wonderful. Get the guys to come to you. They haven't seen home-cooked food in months most times and will eat anything and everything on the table. Host tip number five, involve your children in welcoming and serving guests. This is a multi-purpose piece of advice. This is good, good knowledge in general for life, by the way. I talk about this on the OT show also. When my kids help me, even though they're very little, 6, 4, and 2, when they help, they feel involved. It's really good chinuch on one hand, and really it's good. They help. It's helpful for me, and it's a really nice overall feeling in general. Let them set the table with you, which they've done. Let them you know, put things away and, and take things out. When they're done, they can help on whatever level. And if they're teenagers or they're middle school or whatever, they for sure can help a lot, a lot, a lot. If not with cooking, but with setting and with serving. It's a multi-purpose piece of advice. It's good education for our children. It's a good example for our guests who will then proceed to say flattering things about our family to all their friends. Do you know what I heard from Reb T, what he does with his family? Do you know what I heard from Joe Schmo, from John Doe? Not saying that I do it or I do it really well. I'm just giving an example. So they go back and they say and they flaunt it. It makes our children feel more warmly disposed to this invasion of their privacy, quote-unquote. It relieves us of some of the food service burden and allows greater freedom from interaction with and enjoyment of our company if you want to make sure to have everyone help. 
as the children get older, the crashing sounds in the kitchen will be less of a cause for worry. Tip number six, learn from others in the area of kindness. There's always someone who is more thoughtful. There is always someone who is more considerate. Just as we frequently pick up decorating tips from a friend's event, so too should we pick up hosting tips. And it's basic to provide overnight guests with towels. I can't tell you how often I was a guest all over the place, didn't have a towel or anything, felt like a real burden. We don't want to be burdens. We don't want our guests to feel like burdens. If you agree to have guests, go all the way. Make sure they have their towels. Maybe a small basket of soaps and shampoos and a hotel does it. Why not make your house feel like a hotel on some level? Give them the soaps, give them the shampoos or whatnot. That would be nice. A bottle of water and snacks by their bed. How considerate. Toys for their children to play with. How awesome. There have been places where this has been true for us and I thought it was really considerate. Everyone's experience is enhanced by an attentive and considerate host or hostess. Two more tips. Tip number seven. Don't make your guests feel trapped in the evening or day before they keep glancing at their watches and eyeing the door. It's better they should leave regretfully wishing the conversation and the eating could have continued than with the relief and gratitude of an escaping convict. And tip number eight. Give overnight guests a key or a code. This seeming small and silly tip is actually a lifesaver and important on a practical level. I, myself, my wife have spent far too many nights in the past, especially pre-corona, lying around on the couch, living room couch to an ungodly hour waiting in an exhausted super waiting for the guests to return. Maybe it's a perhaps a victim of hosts who didn't adhere to tip number seven. Don't make that mistake again. And maybe the true value is psychological. Holding on to the key or the code is like holding on to control and power for some people. Relinquishing the key says louder than words, make yourself at home. This is the essence of good hosting. Guests should feel completely relaxed and at home. With full refrigerator privileges, full pantry privileges, full key privileges. They're not going to steal it and run off to, to Alicatru. They'll give it back to you. Don't worry. Most people are good people. You know? When I was given a key, I felt much more at ease on a Shabbaton or on a Shabbos or when my wife and I went somewhere. You have the key, you have the freedom, and you give the host the freedom. Don't make them feel like they're trapped. They have to wait up for you. It's not considered to the host. It's not considered for yourself. Make sure to give them what they need. We should make them feel like we are concerned with their needs, whatever the reality. Better a cheery, welcoming host with takeout on paper plates than a frazzled, miserable host with gourmet on limages. I love that line from this article. Better a cheery, welcoming host with takeout on paper plates than a frazzled and miserable one with gourmet on limages. Even in crazy corona times, we should do what we can for others to host, for others to care for others in a safe, respectable, healthy, and proper manner. Make sure to give to others. Host for others, even if it means in a different way than pre-corona. And that way we can make the world a little lighter for those around us. You think about, you think about Boratius. You think about looking at, at Vieira. Avram goes and he, he makes sure that everyone gets the bris milah. Avram was 99 when he did this and his whole household. He was on the third day. It was extremely hot. He saw the three men. He ran from the tent to greet them and he said, please don't leave me. Come a little bit. Let me let me have you breathe your feet. Recline under the tree. I'll get a morsel of bread for you. I'll get a little bit of, of food. Do you know he like slaughtered three different cows just to give them each a tongue? And he gave them an entire thing of milk 
and he gave them a whole lavish meal when he just said a morsel of bread. And he got Sarah involved. Some say Yishma was involved. He literally had everyone involved. And in Shemot, and in Bereshis, it also talks about when the angels come to Lot, Lot urges them to stay and prepares a whole feast for them. Come, let's make sure you could come and eat. Because the Gemara Chagiga points out on 27, Rabbi Yochan Rabbi Leishlakish explained when the temple is standing, the altar atones. But when the temple is destroyed, a person's table atones for him, feeding the guests, the needy guests. Perak Elvis points out in Perak Aleph Mishnah Tedvav the Bartanura, Asei Torah Shachakeva and more Ma'at Yasei Harbevet Mekabel Kol Adam Masever Panim Yafos. Avraham said, "I will take a loaf of bread," but he gave a calf, tender and good. He received them with a the kindly countenance. Receive them in a good way, with a happy face, happy to serve them. And in Perak Elvis also another explanation explains: You tell your guests to bring them a morsel of bread. Do a lot more than just the morsel of bread. Welcome your guests into the home. Do it with joy, saying little, but doing much. You do it with a downcast face, it's not good. It will be spoiled. And that's the point to carry over. We should do what we can to have or help others in whatever way we can do in safe measures in our current times. Go above and beyond with a joyful manner. Saying little and doing much like Avraham. The table atones through Hachnasas Orachim, Rashi and Chagiga points out. And the famous Gemara from 127 in Shabbat, hospitality towards the guests is as great as rising early to the study hall. Rav Dimi says hospitality towards guests is greater than rising early to the study hall. And Rav Yehuda said that Rav said that hospitality towards guests is greater than receiving the divine presence as we prove from Avraham having the guests. And Avraham asked Hashem to wait so that he could do the guests. And Rav Yehuda Barshila said there are six matters a person enjoys the profits of this world and nevertheless the principle exists in the world to come. Hospitality towards guests. And the Gemara also points out of there, hospitality towards the guests are in the category of acts of loving kindness and they don't have a shear. The Siddur points out to us, There's no set amount and there's no end to how much you could do. And that's another point. Having guests and doing for guests in whatever way we can, especially in current turbulent times, is one of the best things we can do. A truly wonderful and top-tier mitzvah. Gamar points out in Baba Basra in Jerusalem, there's a custom displaying a flag in the door, indicating the meal was ready, the guests can come and eat. The removal of the flag was a sign the meal was finished and they should cease from entering. How cool to have a sign so that the guests wouldn't feel obligated to just sit around and wait until it was ready. Gamar Bracha says, what does a good guest say? How much trouble my host goes through for me? How much meat he has offered for me? How much wine he has set for me? How many cakes he has brought for me? All this trouble he did for me. Have a little gratitude. Have a little thanks for what your host did for you. An inconsiderate host does the opposite. In Eov, it points out the stranger didn't sleep in the street. I opened my doors to the traveler. Even the common person, a regular person, does what he can for those around him. Gamar Beitza says, make sure to have the right manners. Don't drink your goblin in one cup. And Rabbi Natan points out, let your house be open. Coming from Perkeovus, let the poor be your part of your house. Your house should be open to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, like Avram's house was. That the poor can come any way to the house, that people could be involved any way. And Perkeovus points out in Aleph, hey, he bade That's what it means, your house should be open wide, like the house of Avram with the four sides. And make sure the poor is the dwellers of your house. 
make sure to do it yourself. And that's another point. Make sure your house, your time, your resources, and your money are open to all those around you, giving to them in a safe, positive manner. If you have the ability to help people, to have people, and to host them in a safe and proper way, even outdoors and distance and nice weather in our current times can be a wonderful meal. Mesechas Kalarabati says, guests who are received in a house should do whatever the host bids them to do, but should be allowed to be the right guest as much as possible. The Gemara Sota points out you must accompany another. Make sure to accompany. There is great reward for accompanying. As it points out by Beitel, the watchers of the man, they saw the city shown to the entrance of the city. Rabbi Yochanan points out whoever does not accompany another or will not allow himself to be accompanied is like a spiller of blood and is held responsible for the deaths that occur as a result of his action. That's the whole idea of Egla Arufa. He was killed on the road. If he was accompanied, if the elder of the city, the city made sure he was accompanied, maybe he wouldn't have been killed. And that's why they have to slaughter the calf by after measuring which city is closest because it was lacking in Hachnas' Orchem, the sages explain. The legends of the Jews pointed out that after Avram entertained his guests, he went with them to bring them on their way because as important as hospitality is, Sending the guests off is even more important. And that's another point. Make sure to be a good host up until the end. Walk them out. Walk them down the block if you can. Send them off with a good feeling and in a happy way. Abbas Rabbein Nassim points out, greet everyone with a smile. If someone gives his friend or his guest, guest the finest gifts in the world, but he do it with a pain face, it's as if you gave them nothing. But if you give the friend or the guest something, even a little bit with a smile, it's as if you gave them the finest gifts in the world. And the Gemara Thomas points out, Rav Huna would eat bread, he would open the doors to his house, saying, anybody who wants, come in and eat. Doing it in a happy countenance. Because the point is, do for others, host for others, give to others with a happy countenance and with gladness in the heart. Gemara Pesachim points out what we used to do in the, in the Kiddush halls, in the, in, the, in the synagogue, in the base Knesset, the purpose of Kiddush in the synagogue is to fulfill the obligation of the guests who would eat and drink and sleep in the synagogue. Gemara Rosh Hashanah points out, don't break bread or recite a blessing for guests unless you're going to eat with them, to bless with them. The Gemara Sota points out, Avram had the unique way of bringing the guests closer to Hashem. How? He would bring them to talk about Hashem. After they ate and drank, they said, they wanted to bless him. He said, do you think it's mine that you're eating from? You're eating from Hashem. Thank and praise and bless Hashem the way that it was supposed to be. It brings to mind the story we talked about earlier, bringing them close to Hashem in a smart way, not imposing Hashem on them, but bringing it in a, in a subtle way, in a smart way. And that's another point. Use your time, your meal, your house, your car, your resources to bring Torah to the table and to reach out and be makar of others, to the guests and to teach others around you. Ensure the name of Hashem is on your lips through different Torah songs and proper talk. The Gemara in Gittin talks about how there's a town called Evil Town, Kefarbish, was called that because they didn't open their houses to guests. Because they didn't do Achnas Orchem, they deserved to be called an evil town. Even in a wedding, Gemara Kedushim points out, Rava served drinks to guests at his own son's wedding celebration. He poured a cup for Rav Papa and Rav Huna, and they stood before him when he approached them. Rav Papa was serving to drinks to guests at the wedding celebration of his son, Abamar. He poured for Rav Yitzchak, Rav Yehuda, and others, showing that they still get honor, but it's honor for them to give to others, even at an important as an, even as important event as a wedding itself. That's why I love when the Chas and Kala walk around, and when the, the, the hosts go around thanking people and talking to people is a wonderful thing. The Medrash Tanchuma points on Kiseitse, there's a huge reward for having guests. 
like having children. That's what Saram and the Shunammite women who was blessed with the children because they had guests, some say. In Shemot, we think about how Yisrael was brought by Moshe, his father-in-law was brought by Moshe to bring sacrifice to Hashem. Aaron came with the elders of Israel to partake of the meal before Hashem with Moshe. Where was Moshe? Why does it say that he ate with Aaron and the elders? Rashi picks up and he said, where did Moshe go? Why is he not mentioned as having come to eat with Yisrael? It's because he was standing by. He was waiting upon them, serving them. The greatest person in the entire world was serving everyone else. Can you imagine Moshe Rabbeinu? They were before God. They were sitting and they were engaging in the splendor of the Shekhinah because they were involved in having guests. And Moshe was the one that was serving them because the point is, do not think it beneath you. I don't care how great you are, how smart you are, how famous you are. Do not think it beneath you to do any mitzvah, but especially the mitzvah of Orchem. Do not think it beneath you in any manner to serve and do for others. Even if you are world famous, even if you are world rich, even if you are the greatest sage, it is never beneath you to serve others and to give to the guests and those around you. The Medrashim Tehillim says, Who awakened people to come and take shelter? Avraham awakened everyone from the east. How did he do it? He made the inn. He opened the doors in every direction. He received people always. How? By making an Aishel. It talks about in Shemot, in, in Bereshis, then he made an Aishel bear shovel. What's an Aishel? I love this acronym. The Gemara points out, the, sage, the commentators point out, Rav said, what is Aishel? It is an acronym for Achila, eating, Shtia, drinking, and Levia, escorting one's guests, the three crucial fundamental things that you should do for a guest, eating, drinking, escorting. Rabbeinu Bach points out that Eishel also could be the acronym for Achila Shtia Levia. The true hospitality provides guests with food, drink, and an escort when they depart. And Avraham was great at it. And he told his guests, ask whatever I can do for you. I will try my hardest to do it. And that's the point. Make sure to fully accommodate all the needs of your guests. Not just food and drink, but Torah, lodging, and the like, especially in safer times and in proper, healthy, safe ways. We look at what it says in the Siddur. I talked about it a little earlier. We say this every day. There's no fixed measure for doing chesed. There's no fixed measure for doing achnasas orchem. The principle is with you in this world and in the world to come. Why not do it more and more and more? We even invite guests, the souls, on Sukkot. Every day a different soul. We invite the sitter that points out to us in the Sukkot sitter. Machsa, really. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, and Yosef. People who themselves excelled in many, many areas, but guests that are very, very, very famous, very wonderful in general. The Dasakana points out escorting departing guests is greater significance than handing out a gift. And the Orchat Sadiqin points out if one builds a house, build in it a room for the study of Torah, a gathering place for the wise, a place where guests are welcome. The idea of a guest room is a real thing, not secular. We thought of it way before that. And a place where you could do kindness for others. The Radak points out. Make sure to be able to be preparing something on short notice to serve drinks and unleavened bread, which can be prepared at short notice. It's good manners to prepare something at short notice for guests who arrive unexpectedly. The guests arriving at such a time is usually tired, doesn't want to wait around till an elaborate meal can be prepared. Whip up whatever you can quickly, showing us to serve unexpected guests arriving at night. And that's the point to carry over. There can never be enough achnos There's always more that can be done, and there's no set or mount or shear. 
We should have famous and not famous people, guests of all types and calibers. Be ready at a moment's notice for guests. Make sure to have designated areas for them. Again, I repeat, in our house, we have the two beds in the attic and two movable cots for the attic or basement and the sofa bed couch in the basement. Sefer Amidos points out when you have the guests at the table, you have atonement for you. The Orachayim points out when you, when you conduct yourself the right way, doing it in a way that really helps guests, not in the way that Lot did it. Lot did it backwards. He said, you know, come in and then wash your feet. But Avram said, wash your feet, then you come in. It's all about thinking about what the guests really need and, and going about the right order. The Orchel Chaim LaRosh points out, don't be irate with them. Receive them happily. Receive them cheerfully. Even if you don't want them once you're there, make sure you, re- you get them in the right way. Sefer Midos makes sure to tell you that you should that you should take in the right way and they will help you in the long run. Kitsu Shulchan Aruch points out, do not be irritable during the meal. The guests and the family members will be embarrassed to eat. They may think you're angry and irritable because you're begrudging them because they're having your food. The Marvelous Sapper points out in the Haggadah, one's house should be wide and open for the needy to be guests in your household, especially when you say, Kol HaMarbe, you know, wh- whoever is hungry, come and eat. Tor Orch points out that you could have prepared these things in a hurry. Avram didn't want to delay his guests longer than necessary. Penina Halacha points out if one guests are waiting for the meal, you should hurry and bring the food at once, even if it means carrying as you would during the week. And that's the point. Try to have a cheerful countenance when having guests. Try to do things in a quick manner. Don't make them wait. Try to have the best manners possible for those around you, especially in safe, healthy ways. Just a few more minutes and we're finishing up. Kavayasha points out when a person has guests in his home, let him be sure to serve them a generous portion or don't bring them at all. Either generosity or nothing. Shanil Sabris points out that you should have good manners, that you should make sure to have dishes that you yourself will eat. If you make something that you despise, like you make uh, something that's really um, unbecoming to you, why would you serve it to someone else? You think that they have a much different palate than you? Make dishes that everybody likes. And Marit Handheim points out in the Haggadah, make sure to invite guests with them. When you serve them cheerfully, comforting them with kind words, that's the essence of Achnasas Orchem. Meaning the point is, make sure to make things you yourself would eat. Be generous with them. Be fully present and eat with them, even more than you would for your own self in a safe, proper, and healthy manner in our current times. Shneel Chodabrit points out God performs acts of hospitality at all times, every moment. If he wouldn't do so, the world would cease to exist. So how could we not try as much as possible to do so also? And the Marech also points out in the Haggadah, when you behave with hospitality and generosity, we show that we're not miserly. A miserly person invites the needy person, but he only says it once. He doesn't really want to do the mitzvah. Our hospitality is not like that. We really just want the people. We invite, invite, invite again and again and again. Many times throughout the years, people said, I didn't think you'd actually take us up on the invitation for us to come. I said, no, I love Achnas Tzorchem. It's my favorite mitzvah. I'd love to have you guys. And now in current times, of course, it has to be done in much, much different ways. But don't leave it as an invite for 15 years in the future. Keep up at it. Try again and again. People have told me I'm very persistent. You know, you've asked us four times until we finally had the ability to come. And I say, yes, because I'm very serious about this mitzvah. This is a mitzvah. This is a big mitzvah. The Medrash Tanchuma points out Avram introduced many things. Old age, which has its own benefits for another time. Trials, hospitality, and legacies. And lastly, the Shnei Chodabrit points out hospitality is a practical expression of the virtue of a chesed. An amazing, amazing, amazing mitzvah, which we talk very much in detail in different lecture series. And this is what Avram excelled in. 
And that's the last point. Hospitality comes in many forms, and we should emulate Avram Vino as much as we can, especially in this area. Let's just wrap up and repeat the points. We should do what we can to have or help others in whatever way we can do in safe measures in our current times. To do above and beyond, saying little and doing much, like Avraham, and more Ma'avya, Sehar Bey. Having guests and doing for guests in whatever way we can, especially in current turbulent times, is one of the best things we can do. A truly wonderful and top-tier mitzvah. Make sure to make your house, time, resources, abilities, and money open to all those around you, giving to them in a safe, positive manner. If you have the ability to have people who can host in a safe and proper way, even outdoors distance and nice weather in our current times can be a wonderful meal. Make sure to be a good host until the end. Walk them out, walk them down the block, send them off with a good feeling and in a happy way. Do for others, host for others, give to others with a happy countenance and with gladness in the heart. Use your time, your meal, your house, your car, your resources to bring Torah to the table and to guests and to teach others around you. Ensure the name of Hashem is on your lips through different Torah, songs, and proper talk. Do not think it beneath you, quote-unquote, in any manner to serve and do for others. Moshe Rabbeinu could serve others. You think you're better than Moshe Rabbeinu? God forbid. Do not think it beneath you, no matter what stage or no matter what aspect you are. Even if you are world famous or rich beyond means or the greatest age, it is never beneath you to serve others and give to guests and others around you. Make sure to fully accommodate all the needs of guests, not just food and drink, but Torah, lodging and the like in safer times and in proper healthy safe ways currently. There can never be enough hachlasas orchem. There's always more that can be done. There's no set amount or sheer. We should have famous and not famous people, guests of all types and calendars. Be ready at a moment's notice for guests and make sure to have those designated areas like we have the movable cots and the attic and the basement. Try to have a cheerful countenance when having guests. Try to do things in a quick manner so as not to make them wait. Try to have the best manners possible for those you help, especially in the safe, healthy ways in our current turbulent times. Make sure to make things you yourself would eat. Be generous with them. Be fully present with them. Eat with them. Don't move to the couch and fall asleep. Don't involve yourself in the paper when there are people at your table. Be present. Do more for them than you would do for yourself in safe, proper, and healthy manners in current times. And lastly... Hospitality comes in many forms and we should emulate Avram Avino as much as we can, especially in this area. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time, God willing, in two weeks where we tackle a number to- another topic where we talk about a topic per lesson with some practical lessons here on the lecture series with Reb T. And I'm your host, Reb T.